Welcome to the Metron Manager Podcast. Thank you for joining us as we work to recover the dignity and mission of vocation. Learn more at metronmanager.com. Welcome to this edition of the Metron Manager Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Nowlin. Today we're going to be talking about theology of work and its crucial connection to the Great Commission. A lot of times we separate those ideas, we separate the concepts. We often think in our um, in our typical uh, day and way of living that there's sacred and secular, there's things we do that are for the Lord, that are spiritual, and there's things that are not And if we're really going to do the kingdom of God the way he's designed it and laid it out, we need to think right scripturally. And so we need to look at this connection between the Great Commission and the Original Commission, which is where we get the theology of work. Now, theology of work is obviously vital to our entire enterprise here at the Metron Manager Project. It's at the heart of the book I wrote called Managing Your Metron. And one inescapable conclusion that I've come to in all my study and life and experience, is that these two things are pretty much one and the same. A good theology of work that recognizes work as worship and that it's sacred, it's not secular, and that it's before the fall, it was God's original design, is crucial to the understanding that the Great Commission also values theology of work. So we're going to dive into this real quick here and do a a quick topical study on theology of work and missions. Now, I have an entire chapter in my book called Metrons and Missions, and the narrative of a missional understanding of work is woven throughout the book. So if you'd like to know more, go ahead and go into the book, uh, study that out, go through the curriculum, and you'll get a, a pretty integrated picture of mission as it relates to vocation and work. Today, we're actually going to emphasize a lot about business's mission, or what I like to call business on mission, and look at a few of the dynamics that we're facing globally. So what's the reality of our global mission situation? Obviously, this is near and dear to my heart as a lifetime missionary and a person who cares deeply about the future of nations, the condition of nations, the human condition in general. I've been very involved in nation discipling enterprises for decades and teaching and practicing into that area, that sphere, that sector uh, on a number of levels. But let's take a quick look here at some of the realities we're facing. So in brief, we have about 95,000 Christian workers, missionaries of all forms and fashions that are working to reach and disciple about 3.14 billion people right now on the planet. That's just not going to cut it. That's not going to work. That's not enough people. So let me ask you some questions. Did you know there are no unreached people groups to Coca-Cola? It's kind of a profound statement. It's an older statistic, but it's still true. Here's another one. Did you know 
It is estimated that by the end of the decade, referring to 2020, that some 10 million of the brightest and most talented Americans, representing an estimated 136 billion in wages, will be living and working overseas. That's from the book Leaving America. I've actually validated those statistics, and by 2019, there were about 10 million Americans uh, that were living and working overseas. And imagine another what if. What if 10% of those 10 million expats were Christians? It's a likely number. I've mentioned this in another episode. It's about an average for Americans. Here we're just talking about Americans. We're not even taking into account the global expat workforce of Christians from other nations moving to other nations and the impact and connections that they could potentially have on unreached areas of the world. So what if 1 million Christians, that's 10% of those 10 million, what if 1 million Christian top talents, Americans, for the sake of discussion here, those expats um, overseas, what if they were believers? And what if 1 million, those expats, had an on-mission mindset? What would their world look like? What impact would they have? What if 1 million were missionized in their vocation? They were missionized in their thinking about missions, about their their jobs, their companies, the vision for their life. What if those one million made one disciple each per year? That's pretty low bar, and it's possible. No matter what kind of work environment you're in, you'd have easily a million disciples a year, even just within this given section of expat Christians. That's pretty impressive. That's a global game changer for missions. Unfortunately, we haven't encouraged that or cultivated this mindset in people, at least in the body of Christ, as far as I've experienced it. We often tend to just compartmentalize. We say, okay, we've got these set apart, sacred few who are responsible for being missionaries, for ministering in the unreached, to preaching the gospel, all these traditional forms of mission. And then we've got another 97% of the body of Christ that we say, you know what? Uh, We don't know exactly what to do with you or how you fit in the Great Commission, so uh, just be happy, send some money, pray for us every once in a while. Um, consider going, quit your job if you feel like it. We might have a, have an opportunity for you. And I don't really think that's what the, the Great Commission is going for. And I don't think it's what the globe really needs. It's not what the world really needs. What we need is every believer in the game, everybody on mission. So traditional full-time missions and full-time Christian service is still a vital model. It's really necessary and uh, there's a number of folks that are called to that. I'd say an estimate of probably 3% of the body of Christ would be a likely uh, candidate for this kind of work. But nowadays, I would propose that an MBA is now as vital as seminary in reaching and discipling nations. An MBA is now as vital as a seminary degree. Because how are you going to use that seminary degree in a country that doesn't allow Christians to do anything? There are no there are no borders and there are no uh, walls to business. Everybody wants to make money, but are you missionized in this cause of making money? So every unreached people group is touched by a Christian. Some Christians metron overlaps with every single people group, even the unreached ones globally. So through the workplace, everybody is currently touched. It's just a matter of what are we doing with that connection. So what are those 1 million likely Christian believers from the expat community doing with their faith? Their metrons are overlapping the unreached. What are they going to do? I think we need to recover a missionized theology of work. This is where we talk about the connection back to the theology of work. 
if we're going to make a significant impact among the unreached, we've got to try something different. We got to go big because right now our mission effort is pretty handicapped globally and it's very limited to a significantly small population within the body of Christ. And most of those folks don't have the background or the skills or the platform necessary to really make inroads or to cultivate lasting change in these areas that they're in around the world. So a missionized theology of work, what is that? Well, it requires us to look back at the original commission because that's where we get theology of work. And ultimately, we get the first commission to missions from the original commission. They're tied together. They're one and the same. So let's take a quick look back at the original commission. Genesis 2.15 says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. So there's two key words in this scripture. We're going to explore here a missionized theology of work and the connection between the original commission, the great commission, and theology of work. So there's two key words in this scripture. The first is cultivate, and the second is keep. The first command given to Adam and Eve was cultivate. This word comes from the Hebrew word abad or avad. It means cultivate, tend, serve, worship. It's the first directive God gave to mankind after he was created. He woke up and God said, here's your job description. Let's get to work together. So we are created to work. Abad is also translated as worship. To understand the word used in the scripture for work, we need to intentionally let the definitions mingle together to form a holistic understanding of this word abad or avad. Because it's a multidimensional word. There's a lot in the study of it uh, that I won't go into here. I have some recommended resources on my website, some books that go in-depth in this uh, theology. But for the sake of our discussion here, I just want to point out that it's a multidimensional word that means work and worship, tending, serving, it's, it's multifaceted. But the, equi- the equivalent outcome, though, is that work is intended to be worship. It is sacred. Work is sacred, is before the fall. It's not a form of punishment. It's what we're designed for. This is why we call it the original design. This is the heart of the theology of work. So let's look at the second command given to Adam and Eve, the word keep. This word comes from the Hebrew word shamar. It means to guard, protect, and watch over. Guard, protect, and watch over. Together, cultivate and keep, or abad and shamar, give us the theology of work that we refer to as the original commission. This is all encompassed in our original design, but the original commission is the heart of the beginnings of mankind, and it's the root of the Great Commission. So an interesting point in this discussion, as we look at Abad and Shamar, cultivate and keep, is that there's two metrics found in a holistic theology of work. I would call them two kingdom metrics in this scripture. So there's a quantitative. And what is quantitative word? Uh, What does it mean as a word? This word relates to or involves the measurement of quantity or an amount. Something is quantitative if it can be counted. You can think of expansion, growth, uh, things that, you know, Think of your Excel sheet racking up numbers. Qualitative, another aspect of these two kingdom metrics, quantitative and qualitative. So qualitative, this word relates to or involves quality. Something is qualitative when it relates to the quality, character, or the nature of something. A term you could think of in business uh, circles would be quality assurance. That would be a qualitative metric here as we talk about 
theology of work and missions. So how does this relate to missions? How does all that theology of work, the qualitative, the quantitative, Avad Shamar, how does that all connect here into the concepts of what we understand in modern missions discussions? Let's circle back to the Great Commission. We're all familiar with this, or at least most believers are to some extent. So the Great Commission is so similar to the original commission that it could, I, I think it could be described as the Great Recommission. So let's read it over again. And Jesus came up, spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. So these two kingdom metrics emerge once again in the Great Commission. I would call it a holistic theology of missions as we consider both of these in the equation. What's a quantitative Great Commission metric? Let's look at the scripture. Some of the key words here, go, make disciples, baptize, teaching, teaching the disciples. Those are things you could, you could count those up. Those are countable. They've got numeric values to them. What's a qualitative Great Commission metric? Let's just look at the word observe. What are you doing with these disciples you're making? You're teaching them to observe all that I've commanded, it says. Observe is the often overlooked second half of the Great Commission. It's translated, that word observe is translated from the Greek word tereo. And the definition of that word is to keep, guard, observe, watch over. Does that sound familiar? The definition of shamar in the original commission is guard, protect, and watch over. Tereo is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew word shamar. Fascinating. These two words directly connect missions to the original commission. It's the same word. And just like the original commission, the Great Commission has qualitative and quantitative commands. So the Great Commission, it's not a new idea. Jesus was restating the original commission. That's what I believe is is visible in this way of looking at the scripture. It's not a new idea. It's what he was thinking of from the beginning. He's restating it again to the disciples right before he ascends back to heaven. So how does this affect our discussion on business? Business as mission or what I like to call business on mission We must equally value reaching and discipling nations if we're to honor the scriptural intent of the original commission and the Great Commission. So we have to equally value reaching and discipling nations. They're both contained in both commands. Business or vocation, that gives us perfect context for holistic obedience to the Great Commission. A perfect opportunity to see the value in the quantitative and the qualitative and go after that to fulfill the Great Commission. There's a significant key here. Just as the original commission, the emphasis on quantity and quality, are value points, there are also value points in the Great Commission. I would look at it as two sides of the same coin, the same mission coin. Let's look back at this word observe or tereo. This is where we get discipling nations. This concept is talked about in some circles, not so much in other circles, but it's a co-equal component. It's a co-equal value point in the Great Commission. 
Discipling nations, that is an exciting and open-ended component of the Great Commission. This is where things get to be really fun, because this is where you get to see the ways of God and the Word of God transform individuals and nations. This is where the claims of Christ prove out in reality, and where you see incredible fruit produced when people do things God's way in God's universe. You see the blessing that comes from that equation. So business on mission can make a quantitative impact, but it's best positioned and it's best approach is for qualitative impact. So your theology of work really matters. And a missionized theology of work recognizes that work is spiritual and that it's designed for not only quantitative or, or numeric gains in the kingdom of God, but it's also commanded and mandated and equipped for qualitative impact. I would consider this holistic missions when we co-equally value both sides of the coin and we recognize that in the marketplace, business and vocation are crucial for transformation. So what's the conclusion here on this short talk about missionized theology of work? The work of mission is found at the very heart of the original commission. If you're committed to fulfilling the original commission, you will naturally find yourself functioning as a missionary. Missions is in the job description for everyone who manages their Metron. So remember, you have permission and a commission to work. Don't take it lightly. If you have a Metron, you have a mission. Thank you for listening to the Metron Manager Podcast. Presented by Jonathan Nowlin and the Metron Manager Project. Remember, God has given you permission and a commission to work. Learn more at metronmanager.com. <laughs>